So my name is Kelly, and I'm one of the staff here with CCF, which if you were here the past couple weeks, um, Jeff has already shared this, that basically that just means that I'm here to serve and support you um, in your spiritual journey through college. So when you see me, please say hi. Uh, let me pray with you. Ask me any questions you might have. Um, yeah. So I'm here to serve you. Um, we've also talked a lot about this community being like a family. Um, and I just want to like have a little aside on that. This is like a really big family, right? Way bigger than my family. Um, so some of us might remain kind of like distant second cousins in how often we interact or how well we know each other. Um, but our hope, hopefully, hopefully, you will find at least some people within this community that know you much more intimately, that, that you know them and they know you, like your immediate family. Um, and that's, that's really our heart for, for CORES and why we keep talking about CORES. Uh, so that in the midst of this, like, I might not know you intimately, and you might not know me intimately, but you could know somebody in this room very closely. So that's our hope. Um, but so that you do get to know me a little bit, I went to Western also. I studied studio art and English literature. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I have just a couple of pictures to share with you. Um, I think I have a picture of me and my husband, Ryan. He's also right there. We went to a Mariners-Rangers game this summer or a few weeks ago. The Rangers won. But <laughs> I pretend to be a hardcore fan just when I'm watching things with Ryan because he's a hardcore Ranger fan. So that's why I ha like wear my Mariners stuff, but I don't really care. <laughs> um, and also, just another note... I feel like in college you get a lot of pressure from your parents or wherever saying that you have to meet somebody in college or you internally feel that. We didn't meet till we were 30, so it's okay. You've got time. <laughs> um, and just in case you aren't super observant, we're expecting a baby soon. <laughs> Very soon. Um, <laughs> I have a picture of our baby. Um, this was when he was like 19 weeks. Now he's 36, 36 weeks, which means that his due date is in just four weeks. So it's getting real. Our doctor told us to pack our hospital bag. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have it packed yet, but we need to this weekend. That's our goal. <laughs> so... This means that you'll probably be seeing less of me for a little while. Um, hopefully, you'll see me next week. I'm preaching next week, so hopefully I'll be here for that. Um, <laughs> but after that, I might kind of disappear for, for a while. Unless you are a senior. Seniors, raise your hand. Okay, at CCF, we have special events that we put on just for seniors to help you prepare for life after college. Um, and all year long, I'm going to be doing those events, and my baby is likely going to come with me. So if you want to see a hopefully cute baby, <laughs> if he's not, don't tell me that. Um, 
then you are going to want like to extra come to those seniors event. Um, starting with the one this Wednesday, the senior mocktail. Um, there's information on your seat and on Facebook. So this Wednesday in the Skybridge. Um, and for non-seniors, I'll bring, I'll bring the baby around sometime. So you'll see him too. But anyways, onto our, onto our sermon. Um, if you're just joining us for the first time tonight, we're in a series called Unchanging, looking at God's character throughout his word, like from beginning to end, and seeing how his character revealed in Jesus and through the whole Bible doesn't change. And that matters to us because it means that it still doesn't change. If God's character doesn't change throughout all of Scripture, then it still doesn't change for us today. Um, What was true of him in the very beginning, what was true of him in the life of Jesus, is true for us right now. And you can tell a lot about someone by who they hang out with, right? Like who someone surrounds themselves with kind of tells us what their values are or their interests. For example, not always, but often, really outdoorsy people hang out with other really outdoorsy people so that they can spend all their free time together in the outdoors. Um, And we kind of, like, know that. They, like, find each other somehow. Um, (laughs) Even in our, our, we took a birth class this, this summer, and there was, like, the hikers all found themselves, and they, like, have this little, like, click within our birth class, and they, like, hike together all the time now um, with their babies. They've all had their babies already. (laughs) Um, And for a lot of you, like, right now, who you hang out with might might, um, share a lot about your stage of life. Like, if all of your friends currently live in the same residence hall as you, that says something about your stage of life being in college, and it says something about where you live. Like, it's easier to make friends with the people right around you than across campus. And today, we're going to jump in to see who it is that Jesus surrounds himself with, and what that implies, and why that matters. So we're going to jump right into Mark 3, 13 through 19. It'll be up on the screen as well. So it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John, and to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Um, so in a lot of places, in, there are a lot of instances in Scripture, in the Bible, where you get a long list of names. And it's easy to just be like, okay, some dudes and some more dudes. Moving on. Um, But this is so cool. If you pause and even, like, do a little Google search or look um, in other parts, like, in your concordance in your Bible, if you have that in your Bible, 
and find out more about where else these guys show up, you can find out a lot about this list of names and see that they're not just empty names, but they're real people with real personalities behind those names. And so I'm going to do that a little bit with this group. Um, And this group is like, these are called Jesus' disciples. They're like his early crew that he kind of gathered and did his ministry with. And when we look into who these guys are, we will find out that they are a a lot like this group. (laughs) The Ice Age group. Um, One of our other staff, Shannon, who gave announcements tonight, she brought up this image a few weeks ago about Jesus' community being a strange and peculiar herd like this. And I keep thinking of that because it is so, so true. And I'll tell you what I mean. So if we were to look in other parts of scripture, um, and some, some of the guys, like, they're kind of mysterious. I don't know a whole lot about them. But some, when you, like, do a little Bible gateway search, then you see their names come up a lot. Um, so you can do that on your free time. It's kind of fun. Um, so if we look in Matthew 4. 18 through 19, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. So here's Peter and Andrew, brothers, just like run-of-the-mill, blue-collar workers, fishermen, I kind of imagine that they're probably constantly a little bit smelly, probably. Um, And if you keep reading past that, in verses 21 through 22, you also see that James and John, another set of brothers, were also fishermen. And so you kind of, in Jesus's like early little crew, you have a lot of just like average people working hard, trying to get some fish. Um... But these two, James and John, for whatever reason, Jesus gives them the nickname Sons of Thunder. And I don't know what they did (laughs) to earn that nickname, but I imagine them as like these, like rowdy brothers that kind of come, those people that come into a room and everyone knows they're in the room because they're loud and boisterous and maybe they're constantly wrestling with each other or something and like getting into mischief. That's how I, that's how I picture them. Um, And, you know, that kind of personality, some people really enjoy being around those people, and other people are like, whoa, it's a little much. (laughs) So, but they're a part of this group as well. And Thomas, another guy in the list, Thomas, I won't read this part, but you can look it up later, but at the end of the Gospel of John, in John 20, 24 through 29, Thomas won't believe that Jesus rose from the dead until he sees him and sees his wounds and gets to touch them. And Thomas gets a bad rap for this. He's in church history called Doubting Thomas. Um, So maybe you've heard that before. But I think that, I think maybe, like maybe he wasn't doubting. Maybe he was just more scientific-minded than the rest of the group. And he just had to see like practical, physical evidence which is okay, and Jesus seems to be okay with that because he lets him touch his wounds and stuff. 
So I just imagine Thomas to be this like very scientific-minded, like I'm going to believe it when I see it kind of, kind of guy. Um, and then there's Matthew, who in other parts of this Bible is called Levi. Sometimes there's like double names in Scripture, and it's not just to confuse you, um, but it is confusing sometimes. <laughs> sometimes Jesus renames people like Simon, he renamed to Peter. Um, or people have, like Matthew, a Hebrew name, and then Levi is the same name but in Greek. So it's the same person, but just depends on who you're talking to, what he's going to call himself. Um, so in Matthew 9, 9, um, it says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew, or in other, other gospel stories will say Levi, um, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. So Matthew is a tax collector, which you might think like, okay, no big deal. We have to pay taxes, no problem. Um, But at the time in first century Palestine, where all this is taking place, it was occupied by the Roman government. And so being a tax collector meant that you worked for the Roman government. And tax collectors... um, Sorry, I just got a little kick in my side. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But tax collectors were seen as like pretty shady characters, often like charging people more and keeping money for themselves and kind of skimming some from off the top. Um, And also, they were kind of seen as traitors to their people since they worked for the, the Roman government who all of the Jewish people just despised that the Roman government was ruling them and that they couldn't have their own government. Um, So you're kind of like doubly disliked if you're a tax collector because you're like a traitor and you're ripping everybody off and you probably don't have very many friends. And if you keep reading, like um, in the Gospels, it's like tax collectors are kind of like amongst the worst of the worst people. Um, So, if you really stop and think about that, here's all these fishermen who work hard for their money. I don't know what Thomas did before before he joined Jesus' group, Um, but I think that would be pretty awkward or, like, quite tense when he very first was like, Matthew, tax collector, and then all you fishermen, because likely Matthew ripped off all those fishermen. Likely they despised him. And to make it even more crazy, there was a zealot in the group, Simon. And in the first century, zealots were militantly, so think violently, opposed to the Roman government. And their goal was to overthrow the Roman government. So even more so, the tension builds. You have a guy who works for the Roman government and a guy who wants to, like, violently overthrow the Roman government in the same little group hanging out with Jesus. (laughs) And I think so often we breeze through Scripture and miss, like, the real drama and radicalness of it Um, if we just stop and, like, think long enough and imagine what would it be like to actually be there, a part of that group. And essentially, this group is Jesus' core, This peculiar herd of wildly different people 
who in their normal life before they met Jesus had like hardly anything in common, uh, probably other than like where they lived. Um, so much like a baby and a saber-toothed tiger in that Ice Age herd, right? But they were the people that Jesus surrounds himself with, lives life with, does ministry with. They pray together, they worship together, they serve together. So they really are like a core. And I'm sure they didn't get along all the time. I mean, they were like with each other for three years straight. You guys at least get a summer break from each other. (laughs) And maybe there's like new people being added and stuff. So it gets mixed up a little bit. But three years straight during Jesus' ministry, they were together all the time. And they're not just magical people that all of a sudden can get along with anybody. Um, And even if you, like, read on in the gospel, sometimes they do disagree. Or they have petty little arguments over who's the best. Um, Maybe you don't have those arguments out loud, but you might in your head sometimes. (laughs) And I, I often think about, like, when I imagine this group, I'm like, what did they talk about when they were brushing their teeth together? Like in the down times, like, you know, like this happens to all of us. It's like the day is done. We go down the hall and brush our teeth. And then you get in these like long conversations with people. Um, At least that happened a lot to me in college and wherever, wherever I lived. Um, But I just think these guys, like in their downtime, when they're not just like wowed by the things Jesus is doing, like what did they talk about while they were hanging out while they were brushing their teeth. And I don't even know, maybe they didn't brush their teeth. But, <laughs> but you get the idea. In their, like, down times, the only, only, only thing that these guys had in common was that Jesus had piqued their interest, and they wanted to follow him around and hear what he had to say. They wanted to respond to what they saw God being up to in Jesus. But beyond that, they don't seem to have a whole lot of similarities between them. They're a very strange and peculiar herd. But Jesus chose them. And he didn't just say, Jesus didn't just say, hey, it's cool if you want to follow me around, but keep your distance, stand over there. Um, He chose them to like actually be with him, live life with him, and even to send them out and preach and to have the same authority in ministry as Jesus himself did. He was giving them each, with their wildly different personalities, real responsibility, and not just a community, but a place of real ministry. He didn't just say, you and you, you're really good at this, or you have like these types of skills, you go preach. But you... Just stay quiet. (laughs) He didn't say that. He gave each of them authority to go and do the things that he did. He gave each of them um, the the task of, of preaching and spreading his word. And this is significant because it shows Jesus' value for each of them. And Jesus' value for diversity. And his value for using people for his glory who are not all the same. Jesus doesn't use just one type of person. And if you expand beyond the 12, beyond those 12 guys even, and read about the crowds that followed him, the people Jesus Jesus interacted with, we even see that Jesus has women disciples 
who he welcomes and doesn't turn away. And even some wealthier women like fund his ministry and things. Um, and you also have Gentiles or people who are Greeks. They're non-Jews, so they're considered foreigners to the Jews. And Jesus welcomes them. So there's all these people with different ethnicities, men, women. We see slaves. We see more tax collectors and people labeled by, uh, by the community as sinners. And all these people that society would have labeled as outsiders, they all have a place in Jesus's community. And this is really significant. I know personally this was significant for me to learn. Um, Because I didn't grow up reading the Bible or going to church um, other than maybe Christmas and Easter. So when I was in high school, I was newly going to youth group with some friends and being a part of a Bible study. And the more and more I learned about Jesus, the more and more interested in him I, I became. And I really liked him. I really liked the things that he had to say. I really liked the way he treated people. Um, yeah, I was just getting more and more interested in who he was, who he is. Um, but there was a point when I was honestly nervous to read scripture myself. I was afraid because I was afraid that if I looked in the Bible, I would find that the Bible doesn't have a place for someone like me. Um, I don't know where I got the picture from, but I had built up in my head from the outside looking in that Christian women in particular had to fit a certain mold, fit a certain way of being. Um, And in my mind, all Christian women seemed to love quilting and tea. (laughs) Which is, there's nothing wrong with that. If you are a quilter, that is awesome. (laughs) We have some awesome baby quilts given to us, so keep it up. You're going to bless your friends later. Um, But that's just, that wasn't me. I didn't enjoy those particular things. And um, yeah, and the, the models that I had growing up of of women, like I, my mom is here, uh, we're dressed alike, not on purpose, <laughs> um, but I was raised in large part by a single mom who always, my whole life, owned her own businesses and was like opening up other businesses and starting, starting new ones, and so I had this picture of this like strong, powerful, like leader woman, and I, w- and I was like, I'm like her, we're dressed alike even, um, <laughs> but I was afraid that if I looked into scripture, that I would see that there is no place for me in Jesus's community. Um, But I got to a point where I was so enamored with Jesus, so interested in who he was, that I was like, okay, Jesus, I will dig deeper into your word and I will obey it. If you are to be king and Lord of my life, I will read your words and I will be whatever you ask of me. I was ready to surrender my own ideas of who I thought I wanted to be or who I was um, to follow him. And so I got brave, and I actually started to read his word for myself. And not just trying to find what I wanted to hear from it, but like really taking it at face value and talking about it with other people. Um, And to my wonder and delight, I saw that actually there was a place for women all kinds of women, the quilters and me, (laughs) in the company of Jesus. And that it's not 
a pigeonhole, like one size fits all, and you have to be this way. Just as all of that, the men in that original crew of Jesus, just as they were all so wildly different, I saw that, oh, the, the women that follow Jesus also are so wildly different, and that's okay, and he welcomes them, them all. And I saw that Jesus uses the women in ministry just as much as he uses any of those men. And I learned that there really are no prerequisites or checklists beyond just following him. And I found that so, so refreshing. And all of his disciples, men and women, in all of their diversity, they were given real responsibility and real ministry. And I know if that's true for me, that that's true for each of you. And I hope that we see that Jesus' community really is a diverse community. Diverse in all kinds of ways. Men, women, slave, free, ethnic diversity, diversity of interests, political diversity. Like, can you imagine that right now? (laughs) People who were outsiders in our society are no longer outsiders in Jesus' community. In fact, there are no outsiders in Jesus' community. Because Jesus makes space. And he welcomes everyone. His community is open to everyone. And there's a huge conversation going on in our country right now. A conversation about diversity and race relations. And at CCF, we want to be a true reflection of Jesus' community, even in that area of diversity. In all kinds of ways, we want to be be that. Um, And the truth is, is that God is way ahead of us on that already. It seems like our culture is just now, like, really openly talking about these things. um, And we still have a a long ways to go. But, But this has always been God's heart for his people, that they would be a diverse community. I've often heard people, we've been talking, kind of connecting um, things in the Old Testament to the New Testament um, and I've often heard people have this view of God in the Old Testament that, that God didn't care about anybody else but the Israelites. And he was very like ethnocentric and it, that's, it was all just about the Israelites and nobody else. Um, but if we actually dig into scripture, we see that that's not the case. And that's never been the case. He's always wanted his community open for people of all ethnicities, of all nations. Um, There are countless examples, but I'll just give you a brief couple. Um, In the beginning, in Genesis 12, when God is first establishing a people um, that that will follow him, when he's first establishing the Israelites through a guy named Abraham, he's kind of like telling Abraham all of these these things. Um, And he says in the second part of verse 3, And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So even from the beginning, God's heart in establishing a people was to use this people to bless all the other people, to bless all nations. And later when he's giving like directives and conveying the way that his people should live and the laws they should live by, in Deuteronomy 10, 18 through 19, he said, it says, He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you. 
giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. And so even in the very like fabric of how he wants his people to be, he's making space for other people who are, who are different from the Israelites, making space for other people to have a, a real home, a real place of belonging. And we see this countless times. If you just like, like see all the things that the Israelite people do, there's always people joining them, and there's always like extra people who aren't like a part of the original group kind of joining them, and God's always making a space. And he makes provisions over and over again for the marginalized of society to have a place. The orphans, the widows, women, foreigners, tax collectors, zealots, all kinds of people. And diversity has always been a part of God's unchanging plan from the beginning of creation through the life of Jesus and beyond. And this matters to us because it is so true for us today that God desires for all of his communities today, including this one, um, for there to be no outsiders, but that we recognize that he makes a place for all of us. And the way that God has made a space for all of us, made a place of belonging, is through his saving work on the cross. Once we were all outsiders, like probably very, very few of us actually would have been considered part of God's people. Um, if you have a Jewish heritage, then you were among those that would be automatically considered part of God's people. Um, but through the cross, the way was opened for all of us, all of us to belong in this community. Um, and it's because of Jesus dying for each of us, dying for each of our sins and raising to life again, that that's how we're all on the same playing field. We all have a place here and we all belong, not by fulfilling some sort of prerequisite or checklist, or passing a certain personality test, but because of the cross. The only prerequisite to belonging to Christ's community has already happened on the cross. So there is a place for you here. I want you to hear that, especially if you are new and maybe still feeling a little uncomfortable or like a fish out of water in, in your places of friendship. Just hear that, that there is a place for you here. Just as much as there is a place for a tax collector and a zealot, or there is a place for me, there is a place for you. A place for you to belong, a place for you to serve, to have a ministry. If you are an athlete, you are welcome here. Students of color, you are welcome here. Scientific-minded people, you are welcome here. Men, you are welcome here. And women, you are welcome here as well. Harry Potter fans. <laughs> you know that runs deep. You are welcome here. <laughs> but the point is, each of you, no matter what other category you would be labeled by, whatever other people might see you, you have a place here, a place of belonging. And not just because we think it's cool to say that or because of anything you did, but it's because this is, this is Jesus' community. And he says you are welcome here, and so you are. That is a fact. 
But also, not only are you welcome here and that there's a place for you, but that also means that there is a place for others who are not like you here. (laughs) And that's the beauty of Jesus' community. Like you belong, and the person next to you who might be wildly different than you also belongs. So it's not just an invitation for us to belong and find our place here, but it's an invitation for us to welcome others in, make space for others to really feel that this is their home as well. And we want to we see that. We want to be that kind of big, diverse community here on Friday nights. But the most, most, most important place that this really happens is in our cores. Because like I said, cores, you don't just have your distant second cousins in core. You don't just small talk with people in core. But you have the people that you can really get interacting with, really dialogue with. You can actually have a conversation enough to know if they have opposite political views as you or not, or have a totally opposite upbringing as you or not. We might not know that here. And all of you, you've, uh, well, some of you have already had a couple cores at this point, right? If you haven't, you can jump into a core at any time. It's totally okay. Um, but for those of you who have already had a few cores, you've maybe already like made a mental note of like, ooh, that person's kind of annoying. Or <laughs> like, oh, we're very different people. <laughs> so think of that person that comes to mind or the person you just don't naturally connect with. Think of that person. And then ask Jesus, Jesus, how would you have me make space for that person in my life? Space for real relationships to seek their best, not just to like, okay, I'm going to sit and keep my distance in core until I get to leave, Um, but actually making space for people who who you're already interacting with, who you already know in your cores, um, or even in your classes. Like, Jesus, how would you have me make space for this person? Knowing that they belong in that core, they belong in this community just as much as you do. And that might take an attitude shift from some of us. You might want to, like, just practice in your head, like, next time you go to core or even the first time, like, look at each person and in your head say, I'm glad you are here. I'm glad you are here. I'm glad you are here. Even if you don't feel that it's true yet, hopefully your gladness will follow. But if we only ever, like, congregate towards people who are like us or who we enjoy, then we're not a true reflection of Jesus' community. We're not a true reflection of God's heart for his people. So taking those steps to make space for other people in our lives who are different from us, the more and more we do that, the more and more we're going to learn about Jesus' heart and God's heart for his people. So worship team, you can come come back up as I close. Um, And I simply want to close just kind of recapping God's heart for each of us, Um, that Jesus chose to live life with people who are so wildly different from each other and wildly different from him, too. (laughs) They truly were a peculiar herd. And throughout scripture, we see God's heart making a way for outsiders to be included in his community. And it's most starkly seen on his work in the cross. 
that through the cross each of us belongs, and Jesus makes a space for us. And because of that, out of our own belonging and our own like awe of him making space for us, we can make space and extend that to others. And I'm not going to give you like three steps to making space for other people in your life. Um, But I just want us to, as we worship, just like revel in that fact that God has made a place for you here. And then as we go throughout the rest of our week, as we interact with people, each other at the block party or in our cores this coming week, just have that rolling around in our minds of like, Lord, how would you have me make space for this person or make space for that person? Would you open my eyes to see them um, and how you want to see them as like belonging here in this community? So I'm just going to pray and we're going to go straight into singing worship. Um, But as always, um, you may or may not know this yet, but anytime we're responding to to, to a word that the Lord is like piercing us with or anytime we're worshiping him, um, and you want prayer, or you have questions, or you just want to, like, do something different to respond and worship him, you are free to come down here, kneel, um, ask for prayer from someone, come talk to me, ask me questions, or have me pray for you, um, any of our staff. There's freedom in how we respond, so just so you know that. Um, but it's also okay to just stay in your seat. Um, but, yeah, let me just pray for us. Lord, I thank you that you have made a way for each of us to belong. Um, I thank you that from the very beginning, you didn't just choose people who are exactly the same um, to, to be used by you and to be used in your ministry, but you purposefully chose people so different from each other so that you would be glorified and not a certain personality or a certain type of person. So Lord, we thank you that Um, that we don't have to meet this certain checklist or meet all these prerequisites and requirements in order to follow you. But Lord, the only prerequisite you took care of on the cross. Um, And so Lord, I pray that we become more and more solid in our sense of belonging in you, our sense of belonging in this community. Um, And Lord, I pray that you would grow our hearts for how to be family with people who are so different from us um yeah and if and if we find ourselves only around people who are just like us lord i pray that you would open our eyes to see who we could reach out to and who we can um welcome in and invite in even if um they aren't just like us so lord would you be growing our hearts to look more and more like yours would you be growing our community to look more and more like like your original intent for community, Lord. So we just thank you, Lord, and we pray even tonight that we would have this mindset of of belonging and helping others belong, even as we go about the block party and the rest of our weekends, Lord. Um, So we just praise you for who you are, and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.